Hi guys, you're listening to Drunk and Uncultured. We are a drinking problem masquerading as a pop culture podcast. I'm Lindsay. I'm Stephanie. And we are coming to you live to celebrate our favorite season. Well, yep. not live, but it is spooky season. It is spooky season, and we are in a spooked out version of the lair. A.K.A. your living room. Yeah. And it's not that spooked out. It's really not that spooked out. <laughs> you put up some orange lights and some $1 cobwebs. They're $4. Oh, they're $4? Wow. Come at me. Fancy. So this week, um, it is time for Stephanie's Music Corner. Yeah. So we're going to talk about some albums that came out in the month of September. So the first one we've got came out on September 6th. Um, It's by an artist called Kindness, and his album was called Something Like a War. So this guy is really cool. He actually works a lot with Robin. Okay. So very similar vibe. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Fun album. I gave it a 9 out of 10. Stephanie's? Yes. Nine Stephanie's. Uh, The next one came out on September 13th. It is by uh, kind of like an indie alternative singer. His name's Sam Fender. Um, His album is called Hypersonic Missiles. And uh, I really liked this one. I listen to it a lot. Still. Fun time. Um, I gave it a 9 out of 10. Okay. Uh, My next one is uh, actually by one of my favorite bands of all time. Came out September 20th. Um, it is M83. So the album is called DSV2, which is short for Digital Sounds Volume 2. And it's the second piece of the Digital Sounds Volumes collection. And the first one came out in 2007. Um, it's a really nice, like, more ambient sound for M83. So loved that. And I gave it 10. 10 out of 10. I thought it was wonderful. So that's a 12-year follow-up, basically. Yeah. Like, well, they, obviously, they've not, had, like, releases yeah. since, but, yeah. like, following up on... So DSV1 um, actually inspired a lot of the music that they ended up using for Hurry Up, We're Dreaming. Okay. So that's kind of, like, where that type of, like, Got ambient it. sound came from. Got it. Uh, but the next one was another really fun album. came out on the 27th. It is by a band called The New Pornographers, and the album is called In the Morse Code of Brake Lights. Their albums are all weird names. I don't yeah, know why they that, did that. Okay. Uh, that's a really good one. So they're like an indie, not, not quite like an indie band, but something kind of like that. I don't know. They're kind of like an electronic-y rock sound. They're okay. a lot of fun. Um, I gave that one nine. And then my last one also came out on the 27th, and it is by the rock band Temples, and their mm-hmm. album was called Hot Motion. That album is very good. I love Temples. I'm very excited to see them, and I gave this one a nine. Okay. I was going to say, you've been listening to a lot of temples lately. I have listened to a lot of temples, because they were supposed to be here on Halloween, mm-hmm. and so I was thought I was seeing them in a few weeks, but then they had to move their show to January. Right, right. Cool. Um, so that's the music corner yeah, for the month. Yeah, that's it for the month. Let's uh, get and into the episode. Yep. 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 So what are we drinking, Steph? So this week, we have um, a beer called Crypt Keeper from Scorched Earth Brewing, um, these guys are based out in Algonquin, That's Illinois? what it says, yes. So that's like McHenry County, which is kind of northwest. in Illinois. It's northwest of the city. Okay. Um, it's a little bit further out in the burbs, and we typically get... The label's really nice. It's metalized, so there are some, like, orange metal spots, some, like, silver metal spots. It's just, it's really pretty. Yeah, the, the can artwork's really fun. Um, and yeah, I do like the, we'll post a picture of it, but the orange lettering that they use actually is metallic too. So that's 
just looks real nice. It does look real nice. Um, on the sa- on the side of the can, it says, what's in the can? Chocolate malt, pumpkin and butternut squash, pumpkin pie spice vanilla. So, in this guy, up beyond what we see like listed on the can, there's actually a good amount of, like, I think there's a mixed bag of flavors in mm-hmm. here, which makes it a really interesting drinking experience. Yeah. So, I really expected, like, opening this guy... For it to be like a punch in the face of pumpkin. Agreed. And to like almost feel like you're drinking a pumpkin. Mm-hmm. But I actually really like that they more used the uh, like pumpkin spice flavors mm-hmm. that are traditionally associated with pumpkin rather than directly pumpkin Agreed. itself. Agreed. So um, like drinking this, I get a good... I'm sorry, Lupin's walking around so you can hear him. I, uh, I really get a good hit of the chocolate malt that's in here. Yeah, I get that too. Which is nice, because I think that's like the most, like, honestly the most pronounced flavor I get is the chocolate malt. I think that's traditional of a lot of porters though as well. Mm-hmm. You get a chocolatey malt yeah. flavor. Yeah, which I kind of like about this one is that it doesn't get like lost in the pumpkin. Yeah, um, it's lost still, in like, the sauce. Yeah, it's still, <laughs> I was trying to not say that. <laughs> um, it's still like very um, true to the style. Yeah. So it tastes like a porter that also has these flavors in it. Yeah. It's not like this it's is a, a good pumpkin maltiness. beer. It's this is a porter that has a pumpkin flavor. Yeah. Um, I don't get the butternut squash that it says it has though. Uh, I get every other flavor. Um, pumpkin's very mild, which is nice. Yeah. The pumpkin's pu- pumpkin pie spice is pretty in your face, and then the vanilla is a nice back note. Yeah. So I'm gonna say chocolate, nutmeg, and vanilla. Um, I was going to say chocolate, thick, but like two C's because mm-hmm. it's got a, it's got a pretty thick mouth feel. Yeah. Um, and then I think I said vanilla was my last one. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I actually really like this a lot. We picked this up today kind of last minute when mm-hmm. we had, we had a themed beer planned and it didn't work out the way we wanted and... I'm pretty happy with what we got. I was really excited when you told me you got this. So yeah, I was really excited when I heard about it, or when they told me that I was had doing this. some quick digging on Scorched Earth Brewing. So I know I've heard of them before. They do. It seems like a really wide variety of beers. They do session light ones. They do traditional German style. They do Belgian style. They do hoppy styles. They've got it's a bunch of different nitros and porters. And they actually do some really unique, they call them Crazy Town beers on their website. They have rosé ales, they have smoked ales, they have different apple ciders, they have a barbecue peach pit and apricot beer. That sounds good. Um, The one I really want to try that's on here, and if you know anyone out there that's got this, let me know, because I want it. Um, They have a matcha nitro milk stout. It's called Agent Yakuza. I want it. It is green and it looks beautiful. It is literally green. Yeah, and actually since, I mean, it's kind of topical, GABF was last week. Correct. End. Yep. Um, and they actually won silver for their Doppelbach. Yeah. In the German style Doppelbach or Eisbach category. Sweet. So cool. Congratulations, guys. Yeah. Keep doing good stuff because this guy's real good. 
All right. All right, let's get into the episode then. Yes. Um, so, in full transparency, this was 100% my... This is the second time we said that this episode, by the way. In full, full transparency. transparency. Wow, we've been, work working, is, we've been working too yeah, much. Yeah, <laughs> um, I say full transparency at work far too much. Same. Same. <laughs> so, this week's episode um, was... I take full credit because it was 100% my idea, and I literally forced us to do this because we were going to do something else, and then I was like, no, we're doing Were we going to do something else? You came up with another idea that uh, sounded way better. I came up with an better. idea after we said we were going to do this. That's so. fair. Uh, so we're talking about one of my favorite movies of all time this week. The Guys, movie it's is not The Nightmare Before Christmas. No, it's not. <laughs> That's going to be a different episode, maybe later. Um... Today we're actually going to be talking about Beetlejuice. Yes. So that's you can't say it again. We can't say it two more times. Well, well, we're gonna have to. Yeah. As long that's, as we don't say it three times in a row, that's fair. Um. So this movie came out 31 years ago. So this movie is quite a bit older than I am. Yeah. And 1988. Correct. So uh, quite a bit older than you are. Yeah. Um, I, this was my older brother's favorite movie growing up, so I've probably seen this movie 300 times in my lifetime. So, I mean, in my opinion, I think this movie, like, transcends age almost. Like, I Well, feel it's like, not really meant to be a specific time period. Right, but it's also not, like, yeah, this movie came out a couple years before you were born, um, or more than a couple years, but... More than a couple years. Um, it kind of, like, transcends that age barrier where like it's a movie that like you can continually watch and you can show like younger generations now and I feel like they would still like it I agree yeah um I think it's a relatable topic and a concept for a film Mm -hmm. um so for those of you that may not have seen this before let me give a real quick summary of the storyline so the main characters are Adam and Barbara. They're a normal couple who They're just a super cute couple who just happen to be dead. Yes. So they have given their precious time to decorate their house and make it their own. But after they die, a new family moves in and takes over. And while Adam and Barbara try and scare them out, they end up becoming the main money making attraction for the family. And they decide to call on Beetlejuice to help, but he has a lot more in mind than just helping them get rid of the humans. Yes. It's a very brief summary. Um, So, we both watched this, like, this week. Rewatched it this week. (laughs) Yeah, rewatched it. um, To take notes. So, um, actually, maybe we should, the first thing we should do is get into our first experiences with Beetlejuice. Yeah, for sure. Um... So, my first experience that I can really remember um, is I know my brother owned this movie on VHS back when I was a kid, and obviously we only had one TV in the house, so we watched it all the time. He probably would have been 14 or 15 when I first saw it, because he's 12 years older than I am, and obviously this movie is suitable for children for the most part. I think it's... More or less suitable for children. Yeah. It's only rated PG. Yeah, I can't, like, recall any scenes. I mean, there's a little bit of sexual humor, but otherwise... Well, that would it's... go over the kid's head. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Because I definitely it's went not over meant, my head. It's not for, scary. Like it's, it's not. No, for no, it being a horror like, type movie, it's not scary. It's like Tim Burton cutesy. Yeah. Like it's not. Yeah. It's like cute, like quirky, wacky style. Um, yeah. Tim Burton. Yeah. Um, I think this was actually one of Tim Burton's first films. So I think it was actually as well. This is what I. Um, I think this might have been his first. No, his first was Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Yes. So, um, just some background. This was actually, the story was written by Michael McDowell. Yep. And Tim Burton was brought on to adapt it. Yep. Um, but basically stayed pretty true to it. And I think this is actually, like you said, it was one of his first movies. Um, but this was really like the gateway into him being able to do yeah. a lot more of the stuff he got to do. I yeah. also noted that this might be his only movie, other than like Pee Wee's Big Adventure, that does not have Helena Bonham Carter in it. Um, we just went in a very big tangent there sorry you're um, supposed to say your first experience <laughs> I, I don't it. really remember my first experience i think it was probably just like on tv when it was on like tv land or like amc or something like when i was a kid during halloween i feel like i didn't get super into this movie until college i agree i think this is one of those movies where adults are like super super into it like it's it's fun for kids to watch yeah but you don't really appreciate it until you're an adult because i feel like it's like that I feel like a lot of his movies are like that. Yeah, and I also just think find it super interesting because I I didn't get into it until college, so it already would have been like very dated. old, like yeah. dated. And that I would have been like I was one of the only one of my over friends twenty was, years later. Yeah, I was one of the only one of my friends that was super into the movie. So I mean, I loved it. I love this movie. I, I also thought it. I think maybe as you grow older, you're able to appreciate it more because I remember being younger and thinking like the special effects were shitty. And then, as like an adult, I appreciate the fact that they're kind of shitty. But it's like good for the time, yeah. but like I can appreciate that and like enjoy the the wackiness and the quirkiness of it. Yeah, and I think that's also like obviously we grew up watching Tim Burton movies, yeah. so I think that's why we resonate so well with a lot of the stuff going on. For sure. Um, one thing I did note where you were talking about. Um, the original story. So I read that the original story is actually a lot darker. Mm-hmm. And the... Oh, here it is. Um, so the original screenwriter's script was a lot darker. And then it was rewritten by Larry Wilson and Walter Skarin. Um, originally, the story was that Beetlejuice was a winged demon who, um, while in a human form, was like a small Middle Eastern man. And his plan to remove the Dietz family from the house was, like, about rape and murder rather than marriage and just so general So it was, like, closer to a horror movie. Correct. Okay. And then um, the other thing to note was that the Maitlands, so Adam and Barbara, they die in a car accident. Mm-hmm. And the original storyline was it was a much more gruesome death. Got it. I did make a note about their car crash about... I totally understand how they swerved to miss a dog, but then how was a dog able to counterbalance a car? And as soon as the dog stepped off the plank, the car, that's when the car sank. So my note about that is, why is that dog just running around town? That's true. Whose dog, dog is that? Whose dog is that? Whose dog is that? Is there a microchip? Where's its collar? Yeah. Whose dog is that? Why Who lets their dog off dog? leash? <laughs> Don't get me started on that. Um, yeah, like, who just fucking lets their dog off? Like, run around town? Um... <laughs> Um, I also have some, I was kind of drunk when I watched this, so I have some wild notes. 
Well, let's kind of go through some of the things that you and I were talking about back and forth. Yeah. Um, so Alec Baldwin is one of the stars of this movie, which he... I always forget until I literally turn it on. And I'm like, Alec oh, wait, that's yeah. Alec Baldwin. So Alec Baldwin plays Adam. Yep. Uh, Maitland. Yep. Who is married to, as you mentioned, Barbara, who is played Gina by Davis. Gina Davis. Yep. Known from A League of Their Own and Stuart Little. She was in Stuart Little? She was the mom in Stuart oh. Little. <laughs> I don't um, know that. I only know that because I every time I ever see, like, the one time I saw Stuart Little, I was like, oh, that's a lady from a league of their own. Um, he's so skinny. He's, like, almost unrecognizable. Well, he was also, oh, this is one of my notes. He was 30 years old. How old? Like, they don't say he how He looks old. 12. He doesn't look 12. He looks, like, 25. He looks way young. He looks, like, 24, 25. So he was... 30 years old when this came out, or when they filmed it, and uh, Gina Davis was 32. Um, that, I mean, that checks out. They're probably in their 30s, so they yeah. they talk about going on vacation and how they could try for another kid, or try to have a kid again. Yeah. And just, like, that line alone makes, like, leads you to believe when that they're... still that within they're, child... Well, within child-rearing age. Yeah. But also that they are old enough at that time period to have tried and given up. Yeah. So, like, around 30 is about when, I feel like... People in that time... Time would have given yeah. up on having kids. Yeah. Um, um, I also thought it was really sad that they didn't, like, they, they obviously wanted kids but couldn't. Yeah. I also thought their relationship with each other was adorable. I thought so, too. I also hated whoever that Jane woman was that kept coming oh, by and be like, one of my notes is, who the fuck is Jane and why does she like this? I have a later note about Jane for later on. But yeah, fuck Jane. Jane is like her, is Barbara's, is like one of their, like, a sister. Oh, that's what she is? I thought she was their neighbor. I think she's like a relative of theirs. Um, That's what I understood it as. She was a relative and like just trying to sell their house. And as soon as they fucking die, she like sells their house. Yeah. Why? That that lady's a bitch. Fuck Jane. Yeah. Um, So I'm going to start... By some of my notes. Okay. So, in the beginning, Jane comes over and is, like, harassing them to sell again. Yeah. And my first note about the movie is, it's very bright for 6.45 a.m. Because she's, like, Barbara's, like, what? it's 6.45. What are you doing here? And it's, like, noon. Like, full-on daylight. Um, my other note is, why is... Uh, Adam obsessed with Jamaica. Um, I also have that note, and I didn't. My note was more: How did I not remember that he was so obsessed with Jamaica? That's, that should have been my note. Is that how do I not remember that? Because he talks about it. He plays calypso music. He only plays Harry Belafonte. <laughs> Listen, there's nothing wrong. No, there's not. So something I actually noticed in this movie is the only music that have like has words that's not like score. Is a Harry Belafonte. Yeah. And that's wild. Yeah, I think my biggest thing is that I didn't know Harry Belafonte had that many songs. There's he, You realize they just keep using two songs over and over again, right? I think there right? were three or four that they played. Oh, no, I think they were... They played used... Jump on the Line and then Deo, and then there was like at least one other one that they played. I think it's just the two used over and no, over again. No, because I had the, the closed captions on, and it would say, like, like this by Harry Belafonte. Oh, really? Yeah. That's fancy. <laughs> I didn't know closed captioning did yeah. that. Yeah, and it would say, like, this song. I think it was, oh. like, three or four that they oh, played okay. by. Um, yeah, so. And then I also noted that Swaggin, Station Wagon. Oh. 
They're yellow station wagons. Jeez. I'm just going to go through these real quick. Um, I wrote down... So they in the movie, after they die, they get a book called The Handbook for the Deceased. The Recently Deceased. The Recently Deceased. Um, Alec Baldwin's character, Adam, first reads it as... Handbook for the recently diseased, and I go. My note here says, "Can Alec Baldwin read?" Um, I actually made a note about the handbook for the recently deceased. So that's probably one of the most iconic things to come out of for this sure. movie, and they actually sell it on like merchandise and all kinds of yeah, shit. That doesn't you can buy anything you could possibly imagine with the handbook for the recently deceased on it. That's it was a pretty big plot point, yeah. Um, in the movie, so I get that. My other note is. So after they die and um, the Deezers? Deezers. Deezers. That's how you say it. Um, move in. Jane just like left all their shit there. Like photographs of them and like their clothes. And I thought that was weird. Yeah. But I guess that's normal for the time frame when like somebody dies and they have no air, I guess. I don't know. I just thought it was weird that like there are photographs of them in the house when the Deezers. Yeah, but like also. I would not want to move into someone's house where they just died and all of their shit's there. That's creepy. Yeah, I don't yeah, want that. Agreed. I have some lines I really enjoyed in the movie. Um, one of them was when Mrs. Dietz walked into, um, like, I think Adam's study. Okay. Uh, she goes, deliver me from L.L. Bean. <laughs> I did like that. Um, then there was a point where Lydia, who is Winona, writer, uh, says, my whole life is a dark room. And honestly... I get that. I, you don't take photos. No, but she was talking about like being like it was like an emo thing. And they're like, "We'll get you a dark room." She's like, "My whole life is a dark room." She's very so angsty. melodramatic. It was it makes so me angsty, so and that's what I mean. Like, I get that. Just being an angsty teenager. Um, and then another line of Lydia's is about Mrs. Dietz, and she says she's sleeping with Prince Valium tonight. I did. I have that one. And then um, when she's writing her suicide note, she's just like, I am utterly alone. <laughs> she's so melodramatic and angsty. I loved it. So I struggled a lot watching her be that melodramatic and angsty. Like, it, yeah, her parents are pretty fucking awful. Well, Her, her dad's, dad's not that bad. It's her, uh, her dad's kind of an asshole. He just like, uprooted his entire family for no real reason. Her dad is, yeah, I mean, I get it. Um... I just find her level of angstiness so, to be very frustrating. I actually frustrating. think that like, if we're going to analyze it... I'm not analyzing it. I'm just pointing well, out that I find even it frustrating that, But like, I think the reason she wrote this letter was because she met Adam and Barbara and she loved them and they were the parents that she would have wanted. Yeah. And so she wanted to kill herself so she could be with them. Yeah, I found that and she could be hard. their kid. And I, I thought it was really... Yeah, I agree. I thought it was hard that, like, she hated her family so much that she wanted, like, them to be her parents, but I also thought it was really indicative of who they are as people. Yeah. Um, that they, they loved her so much after just, like, they just met her and they were like, I don't want to leave because I love, I love that little girl. I don't want to leave that little girl. Yeah. And there were, like, multiple opportunities where they were like, I don't want to, like, scare them away. I don't want to scare this family away because I love her. Like, I want her to stay. Yeah. And, I mean, I think by the end, it's really, I love that they found a way to cohab, like, cohabit the house. Yeah. And, like, sh- almost share her where she's, like, really their kid, but, like, her parents get better. 
I think by her being around people that she actually enjoys and like they're equally supportive and yeah. then it forces her parents to be a little bit more supportive Agreed. and that's the entire scene at the end where the dad's like oh sounds like Lydia passed the math test yeah like so I liked that and I I'm I like that um the Maitlands were able to like have their child and I think I mean they loved Lydia so that was nice oh yeah um for sure difficult to watch her be so like melodramatic and, yeah like, overly so um but let's... also her outfits were killer. Let's talk a little bit about um, the like underworld side mm-hmm. of all of this. So obviously Adam and Barbara are dead. Yes. And they're trying, the entire, a lot of the premise of the film is them trying to understand how to be dead people. Yes. Um, Where there are no rules. It's kind of yeah. like, it's like imagine living world like bureaucracy and yeah. then multiply that by like 45 it is way more difficult in the afterlife. So one of the things I thought was super interesting is there is a line, I can't remember who says it, that, um, oh, um, Otho, the mm-hmm. interior decorator, yeah. says people that commit suicide are civil servants in the afterlife. Yes. And actually that's super like well represented, even though... You, you don't, it's not like obvious not. that these people committed suicide, but there's so, little hints sorta. here and there. Miss Argentina what. says, "If I knew when I, if I know, if I knew now, if I knew then what I know now, I wouldn't have gone the way I did." And then holds up her wrists and they're yeah. slit, right? Um, which I did not get until this like most recent watch through. Right, when he says that. Well, and then it was then, like, oh, now it's like well, I now that and then. It. The people that are, like, escorts throughout the office, the one guy is hanging on a noose. Mm-hmm. The one guy is, like, essentially roadkill. Yep. And he makes a comment, something about, like, that leads you to believe that he jumped in front of a truck. Yeah. And then the caseworker actually, and I only noticed this looking at photos, she has very subtle scarring on her neck. I noticed that Which as leads well. you to believe she cut her throat. Yeah, I actually noticed that as well. So um, I just thought that was super interesting because I didn't realize that until like this watch I didn't through either. where none of that really like clicked. Yeah. But like upon like watching it again, I thought it was really interesting to be like, oh, they really carried that throughout. They did. Very subtly. Yes. Agreed. Um, I also think a lot of the stuff that goes on in the waiting room is really funny. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of really funny scenes that go on in the underworld. So, I didn't also quite make the connection until this go-around, but when Adam and Barbara are walking down the hallway to go meet Juno, the caseworker, they pull on a lampshade, or like a window shade, and Mm -hmm. it shows the Room of Lost Souls. Yes. And how they're all wrinkled and, like, decrepit. I didn't quite make the connection that, like... That happens to them. That's why that happens to Adam and Barbara in the exorcism scene. Yeah, they said that basically that's, like... Anyone that's been exercised is right. like death to a dead person. Right. And so I, I always remembered the scene where like Adam and Barbara are like falling apart, but I don't think I made the connection. That they were performing that, like an exorcism and like that. Well, like, I knew they were doing an exorcism, but I never realized that, oh, everyone in the Room of Lost Souls looks like that. Got it. That was the thing I never really noticed. Got it. Um, I also 
uh, made a note about um, the people in the waiting room. So there's the shark bite guy who's mm-hmm. like a surfer with his leg, like yep. with a shark up his leg. There's they, the girl that's in half. Yeah, there's a girl that's cut in half. The shrunken head. Um, yeah, there's a guy that's shrunken head. And then at the end sequence, you see the guy, like the voodoo doctor yep. that shrinks everyone's heads. Yep. Um, and then I also made a note about the football team. Mm-hmm. Coach, I think we're dead. I don't think we survived that bus crash. Yep. And then they were like, oh. I'm not the... your coach. And Juno keeps going, I'm not your coach. Um, oh, I didn't realize that, like, I was really confused as to how all of a sudden Beetlejuice is enticed by a strip club. Mm-hmm. And then Juno makes a comment that she's the one that put that there. Yep. How does any of that work? They're in a model that's already been built by the Deets, like not the Deets, as the Malins. Malins. Um, like all of this is built, and all of a sudden, all of this other stuff is popping up. I think like, they're putting it there, though. But into the model. But so they're she saying put... the people that are from the underworld are putting it into the model. Adam and Barbara made a comment about like. How is there a strip club? Because they didn't put a strip club into the model. Yeah, Juno did. Right, but how, that doesn't make sense. None of this movie makes sense, I know. I mean, she put it in there to occupy Beetlejuice. I um, I feel like we haven't even talked about the character. No, we haven't. So, well, so this character is in like 20% of the film. I was going to say that. Yeah. He's like, so first of all, something I noticed in this watch through that I never really noticed before is... The build-up, like, so, Beetlejuice gets called 45 minutes in? I think so, yeah. The movie's only an hour and a half long, so yeah. it takes, like, half the movie to even call Beetlejuice. Right. And then Beetlejuice is kind of hanging around initially for, the, like, the next 15 minutes. Yeah. And then, like, there's 30 more minutes of the movie, and, like, the climax starts probably, like, an hour and 15 minutes into it. And the movie's over, like, 15 minutes yeah. later. So, like, the build-up is super long. And the then mo- all of a sudden, like, the climax happens with, like... And then is resolved in, like, the last 20% of the movie. Yeah, I find that super interesting because if you think about it, you could cut the Beetlejuice character out of the movie and it would not have a drastic impact Agreed. on the story. Agreed. Yeah, which I, mean, I find super interesting. The titular character has that little effect, and I never really noticed it before that Beetlejuice is like so minor of a character. Mm-hmm. I also think it's really interesting that like his most iconic outfit is worn for maybe like two minutes. Two minutes. Yeah, I, I made a note about that too. I never. I always like. I don't remember him like wearing different things, but I was like watching it and was like, "Do you know he only why wears this? you remember that outfit? It's in the cartoon. That's what he wears the entire cartoon That's series. What it is. is the suit." Yeah, his wedding suit. No, the striped one. Well, that's his, like what he was wearing. No, the wedding he's wearing a red suit. Oh, you're right. The striped suit is the the outfit he wears in the cartoon series. That's why we have so heavily associated with yeah. that. Also, I remember that cartoon series was on air when we were kids. Yeah, it was. That's probably, I remember watching that. Thinking back, that's probably why I remember the Beetlejuice Fran like show so well is because the cartoon was on and we watched it as kids. Yeah. I think you're right. I That's remember why watching it as kids. I feel like I watched the kid. cartoon before I ever watched the movie or remember watching the movie. Yeah. Um, I just think it's wild that Beetlejuice is not a main character. It's also kind of interesting that like Winona Ryder 
really isn't the main character. She she's one of the main characters, but it's really more about Adam and Barbara. Yeah. And I like don't rem- I don't remember knowing that. Like I don't think I really recognized that it's about Adam not Barbara. I always thought it was like Beetlejuice and Lydia. Yeah, um, I think the reason you think that so specifically is because, because of the, of the cartoon. Yeah. Like, um, Adam and Barbara are not in right. the cartoon. So I have a note on here that I thought was actually really funny that I don't think I noticed before. Um, but the Dietzes are having a dinner party with Otho. Some other woman. Uh, some other woman, Mr. Dietz's boss, I think. I th- and think. his wife. Yeah. Um, and... They're like possessed and they're singing Deo. Yeah. And like as they're like singing and mouthing the words, you can tell that none of them actually know the words. Oh, yeah. And I never noticed that like they're mouthing the words that are obviously wrong. And it's so funny. Wait, really? Yeah. I don't think I ever noticed that it doesn't. It doesn't match up to like what the song is playing. Oh, interesting. I haven't even noticed. You gotta rewatch it. Like, I remember watching because Miss. Deeds was like mal. It's like focused on her, and it's like not right at all. Oh, wild! I don't even think I'd ever noticed that before. It was really funny. I mean, the concept makes sense because obviously they. I almost wonder if they played like a different song, and or like they played it at a different point, and like yeah, then decided to like make it funny by doing that. I almost wonder if what actually happened is they were playing it on set, and then when they. Put the audio over right. The top they put it in part of it. Up. Yeah, and did it match up? I think that's yeah. possibly what it did, but maybe they did it because it was funny. Yeah, um, I just thought it was funny that they don't know the words. Yeah, um, that scene in particular, I think, is really one of the most iconic scenes in the movie, and they actually were almost going to cut it out. Really? Yeah, did not know that. Um, I thought Tim. Uh, I read a note that Tim Burton thought it didn't really match the vibe of the movie. Oh, I think it's hilarious. But then in test audiences, yeah. that was their favorite part of the yeah, movie, and so that's why it's still there. I also really, um, I think the other most iconic scene in the film is obviously like at the very, very end when Winona Ryder, and, yeah, yeah, the Harry Belafonte. Yeah, it's all that Harry Belafonte, which is like floating and yeah. singing. Yeah. yeah, I thought it was really cute. I think it's a cute scene. I love it. I do too. Also, those football players that they project are like I forgot that was there. It's like absolutely like a projection. Oh yeah, it's like not even like they're not even trying. Yeah, no, I, also, I absolutely forgot that was there, and I made a note. Oh my god, there's football players in this scene. <laughs> I also noted that some of the green screen work is bad and it's hilariously bad. Well, was the but like eighties enjoyable? Yeah, like, it, it makes it almost better that it was. It, I also it, love that a lot of it is like green screen into siege or not to, into like claymation. Yeah. So like the giant snake in the desert is claymation. Yep. The Beetlejuice, like when he's his head is the snake. Mm-hmm. Like I just love all the puppeting that yes. goes on. I thought that was really fun. Which is not it, like it's funny because like you can see how it led up to. Like, what Tim Burton's most famous for. Oh, yeah. I don't have a ton of other notes. Um, I made a comment about um, how the scene where Beetlejuice and Lydia are getting married and the sculptures start moving to, like, trap the parents to be witnesses. Mm -hmm. That is so early Tim Burton. Yeah. It's, like, disgusting. (laughs) It's so on brand. I also made a note of the passing of time. So, the time it took for them to, like get to the house 
the first, like, in the beginning of the movie, yeah. after they die, is two months. But this is three months. It's two months, and then it's three months, um, that it takes for them to get, get to Juno in the house again. Right, so when they're done with Juno, um, Like, when they're walking oh, to the yeah. room that they talk How did they, they know that was their house? It looks totally different. The house has been completely Agreed. remodeled. How do they know that's their house? Agreed. Um, but my note was, like, those two moments, essentially, in their lives were basically half a year. Yeah. And they're sentenced to 125 years. What if they just, like, hung out in the afterworld, like, forever? I, it seems like the afterworld is not a place. It's just, like, a... No, but, like, because time passes so quickly during that, like, when um, Adam was in Saturn... And he was gone for an hour, but it was, like, a second. Yeah. They could easily just, like, go to other worlds and make yeah. them 125 years pass super quickly, and they wouldn't have to haunt their house anymore. That's true. Just, like, logic, but whatever. It's a Tim Burton film. You don't need to no. apply logic. I need to stop, like, watching movies and applying logic to them. <laughs> yeah, no, not relevant. Um, one of the other, like, fun little facts in this is this is one of the only movies to come out in the late 80s that had a PG rating where they had drop an F-bomb. So Beetlejuice is when they first summon him yep. and he's wearing Adam's clothes. Um, I don't think I realized he was wearing Adam's clothes. There's an entire bit where oh, yeah. he, like, is kissing yeah. Gina Davis. I remember that now. And then... He's like, oh, we're basically the same. And then all of a sudden they're yeah. wearing the same clothes. So that. it's right when they're leaving the model, he goes, you're working with a professional here, kicks the tree, it falls over. And then he goes, nice fucking model. I almost feel like that's just kind of like to see what they could get away with. Because so another fun fact about this, 90% of Beetlejuice's lines, Michael Keaton just made up on the spot. Not surprising. No. Not surprising. Um, this was the very first time that Michael Keaton and Tim Burton worked together as okay. well. So, prior to Batman. Yeah, so Batman came out after Beetlejuice. Uh-huh. Batman came out in 89. Um, one of the interesting things is that Michael Keaton and Winona Ryder were signed on to do a sequel. And it never ended up happening because Tim Burton got too tied up doing... Batman, and then Batman Returns. And then I believe Michael Keaton was also tied up. Yeah, I think so by the like, time... Well, I mean, obviously doing Batman. Yeah. So this wasn't Michael Keaton's first film. Um, he had been in a p- bunch of other stuff. He had been on TV. But I think this is probably the first time that people like really kind of realized who he was. And then moving into when he was Batman, you know. The interesting thing, for me at least... Um, with this is that I cannot see Michael Keaton's face. I can't either. I keep like trying to look for it. I can't either. I can't see him in there. Yeah. uh, I struggle with that too. I've seen a lot of his movies. I mean, I've seen the Tim Burton Batman films probably a hundred times too. Um, Can't see him. Yeah. I actually didn't know it was him for a long time. I never really thought about it. I forget that it's Michael Keaton because I can't like tell. Um, But yeah, such a good movie. Beetlejuice is such a fun movie. It is a fun movie. And it's like, yeah, I mean, it's like, the beginning of that, like, quirky, weird Tim Burton, Tim Burton phase. Yeah. Phase, yeah. And I feel like it's having a moment right now, so, um, we can yeah. move on to this as well, we so obvious, obviously Tim Burton's had a big moment. And he has a museum. Got, well, there's, no. a Tim, there's a museum, and then, obviously, like, there are we Tim are Burton. of that age group where mm-hmm. we really grew up with Tim Burton, so there's actually, like, restaurants and bars themed after exactly, Tim Burton. Yeah. So we're actually going to um, the Chicago House of Beetle pop-up. 
Yeah, so we are going to be going to check out the Beetlejuice pop-up bar, yep. essentially. Um, a couple days after this comes out. Yeah, it's called the House of Beetle. It's down um, kind of in the South Loop, mm-hmm. almost to like Chinatown area. Yep. But we're super excited. It's going to be really interesting. Yeah, and but that's like a testament to, I think, maybe like our generation's nostalgia and their yeah. appreciation of like the style and Tim Burton in general. Yeah. Is that like there are like permanent exhibits, like permanent bars that are themed after. Yeah, I mean, there's a House of Beetle in LA, Beetle DC. House. They're called Beetle House. Beetle House, I'm sorry. Yeah. That's an all Tim Burton themed. Yes, and there's one restaurant. opening up in Chicago next year. Is there really? The Beetle House, yeah. Um, huh, did not know that. Yeah, so it's like, it's really cool that we're getting to see like all this Tim Burton stuff and it's I think it's really just a testament to our nostalgia yeah and I think that might be a fun episode for us to do at a later date with more it's like like Tim Tim Burton Burton. yeah that would be fun yeah so uh I think that about wraps up most of our discussion of Beetlejuice I think so as well I'm probably gonna watch it at least two more times (laughs) before Halloween I do have to throw that out there reasonable I do own it so Yep, so stay tuned for uh, Final Thoughts, and we will see you next time. Um, so for Final Thoughts this week, I, uh, or we found a, just like a quick list of facts um, some about, fun facts yeah. about Beetlejuice. Uh, I actually have a fun fact that I just remembered that I was supposed to talk about during the episode. Sure. Steve had never seen Beetlejuice before. That is a fun fact. We were watching it. He's like, what the fuck is this movie? Wow, I was like, Steve. the greatest movie of all time. You shut the hell up. Wow. All right. And then I screamed when he said he had never seen it before. Like, full on screamed at him. And I'm not surprised. All right. So we're going to like kind of jump around this list. With... Yeah, this list is kind of drawn up. We're just going to hit some of the fun ones. Um, but it's from Factinate. It's an awful website name. I think that's what how you would say it. Um, but they won. Beetle just won an Oscar for the best makeup in 1989. Uh, so V. Neal actually worked on Beetlejuice, and she was one of the people that won an Oscar. She's on that t- sci-fi show Face Off, where okay. they like build monsters and shit Got for it. stuff. So she's one of the judges on that show. She does some amazing work. So, Tim Burton initially wanted Sammy Davis Jr. to play Beetlejuice, um, but the producer, David Geffen, ended up um, suggesting Michael Keaton for the role. And look where it led him. Then he played Batman. Then he played Batman. Um, So, Catherine O'Hara, I did know this beforehand, too. Um, She was not the first choice to play Delia Dietz. Um, It was actually supposed to be Angelica... Hudson, so she's, you know, Morticia of the Addams Family and in The Witches and all that shit. Um, She had to step out due to an illness. So Catherine O'Hara. And then, what a woman. Following up on that one, when Tim Burton offered uh, Catherine O'Hara the role, she turned it down um, and then he flew out personally to meet her and was able to convince her to accept the role. She also met her husband on the set of Beetlejuice. Her husband was one of the producers, like the set producers. Oh, cool. Yeah. Did not know that. Yep. That's not on this list. Actually, it might be on this list, but that's just a thing I know. Interesting. So, um, the the reason that Lydia wears red during the wedding is that there's an old rhyme about wedding dress colors that says, married in red, better off dead. That's stupid. Um, Whoever came up with that 
this dumb. No, but it makes sense because she's marrying Beetlejuice. Right. Yeah. I'm saying the rhyme itself. Is oh, dumb. yeah. Not the, the, not the fact that she's wearing a red, like they're both wearing red when the scene where they're getting married. Got it. Um, so in the famous uh, dinner party scene, they were actually going to dance to a song by the Ink Spots. But then they ended up playing Deo, the Banana Boat song. And uh, Catherine O'Hara and Jeffrey Jones actually recommended they use Calypso music. And that they are now the reason that Alec Baldwin's character seems to be obsessed with Jamaica. Interesting. Yeah. I did not know that. So when Beetlejuice was screened for a test audience, um, the audience liked Beetlejuice so much that um, Tim Burton's team went back to create like an, a better epilogue for Beetlejuice because it initially ended with him um, being plagued by the sandworms. Yeah, he was going to be stuck in the model forever, yeah. and it was more of a like depressing ending. Yeah, yeah. not even depressing, but like he, they, it was more fitting for him. Yeah, yeah. for what he did, more of yeah. like a punishing ending for him rather than. Yep. Um, actually, so I think this will probably be, I think this is a good one to end on. Um, this one? Yeah. So Beetlejuice actually didn't have that much of a budget. If you think about it, they really didn't use that much space or like didn't use right. that much. Um, it was basically all shot in the house. Yeah. Uh, the movie actually ended up making $73 million and was the 10th highest grossing film of 1988. Cool. So I think that covers it for Beetlejuice this week. Yeah. Um, I think the one thing we did take away is that we want to do a more Tim Burton-focused episode in the future. For sure, so. yeah. And, like, talk a little bit about how different things, like... Play over, yeah. Over. Yeah, exactly. Um, cool. So, if you liked this episode... Please go on your favorite podcast streaming service and leave us a review. Please. Or five please, su- please, rating. Please, please leave us a review. Yeah. And rate us. Um, please. <laughs> please. <laughs> Just talk to us. Also, yeah, talk to us. We uh, we like talking to people. Yep. You'll hear us plug our socials after the song, so listen through to find out how you can talk to us, um, and feel free to leave us a message. We read them all. Yeah, we do. So, cool. We will see you guys next time. All right, that was the episode. So we love hearing from you, um, and if you want to contact us, you can do so through our email address. It is drunkanduncultured at gmail.com. We are also on Facebook at Drunk and Uncultured Podcast. Our Instagram is drunkanduncultured. And our Twitter is drunkuncultured. No ant. And as always, I'm Lindsay, and you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and untapped at lindsaysoldout. And I'm Stephanie, and you can find me on Untapped, Instagram, Twitter, and Tumblr as underscore Stephen Color. And you can also follow my concert Instagram at Shitty Concert Blog. Stay drunk, guys. See you next time.